1: And welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We are so thankful and grateful to have you joining us today. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about um, introducing new ideas, products, and services, and how sometimes daunting it can feel to do that, especially with our existing patients. So, it can even feel impossible in addition to just feeling daunting, especially if we're out of practice. Or we haven't tried to onboard or implement something new in a while. So there are so many reasons why this is one of the topics we discuss most frequently with people we connect with and coach. So I think first off, some of our fears surrounding this topic are, you know, the the questions, the self-questioning and the self-doubt, like, will the patient believe me when I'm explaining, you know, an issue and why they need this new product, service or thing? What if they're mad that I never brought this up before? you know, what if I don't deliver the information perfectly, or I stutter, or, that, or I don't know all the answers to their questions? What if I'm slow on the uptake? What if they say no? And what does this mean about me as a clinician? So I mean that in the case of, like, you're transitioning from a bloody profi atmosphere to trying to treat active perio type of thing. So I think sometimes too, there's there's shame, or we can feel guilty, because we maybe haven't been doing all the things we know we should or could have been doing. And we feel like, acknowledging that fact will maybe be a crummy or difficult task. So, but what I think is important to keep in mind is it would be a lot more crummy to stay in denial of maybe, you know, the things that we haven't been doing ideally or, or up to standard, the standard of care for our patients. And, you know, if we chose never to move into a better place as a provider by practicing to the full extent of relationship and finally, you know, starting to offer our patients our absolute best. So I think that just staying in that place of stuck um, guilt or shame or whatever it, it has been, you know, there, there are reasons and limitations for the reasons why maybe we haven't been practicing to that standard. Maybe it's been time, maybe it's been overwhelm, maybe it's been um, lack of support from our dentist or our team. There's a lot of reasons why, right? It's just important that we kind of troubleshoot and look at those reasons and work through them instead of just staying in that same stuck place. So it can be painful and uncomfortable to acknowledge that we can all do better, but also exciting to know that we can offer more and do better. So in other situations, you know, we might learn something new and then want to implement it, but are afraid of pushback or rejection from our longstanding patients. And we might be afraid of discomfort or not doing things perfectly, like I just mentioned. Um, but, you know, we're all imperfect and all need to give each other a little wiggle room to learn. To grow and be messy while bringing our best to the table. And every single day that we practice these new things, our best will become better, right? So this episode is called Teaching Old Dogs New Tricks. And in this scenario, both we, the clinicians, and our existing patients are the old dogs. And the product or service we're we're trying to implement is our new trick.
0: Yeah. And I do think this is one of the most common questions we get, um, from the hygienist that we interact with is, you know, Hey, I'm excited about this. This makes sense to me. You know, I, I believe in this, but I don't, I don't really know how to talk to my patient about it. Or, you know, I haven't been doing this up till now. Like, how do I, how do I do like an about face mm-hmm. and talk to them about this? It, it does feel a little scary and, and uncertain. And you, you want to make sure that you're coming across confidently to your patient and that, you know, they're, this is a trustworthy, conversation. So I'm glad we're talking about this today because I think this is on a lot of people's minds.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there's a balance, you know, we have to become and to some extent competent in what we're about to offer our patient before we start offering it. But then there is that point where you just have to jump in and start using it, you know, so become as competent, learn as much as you can practice as much as you can, but don't let trying to be perfect at something new, keep you from actually implementing it? Because that's what I see so many times, even in hygienists on my team, like their fear of not being able to do something perfectly will keep them from ever starting. And then that's the real issue. You know, none of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. We're all in this process of learning, but getting in our own way by insisting on perfection before we start doing something is really, I think the biggest hurdle that we've all got to get through or get over. Yeah. Agreed. So a commonly asked question specifically is how do I start offering my patients preventive services if I've been seeing them for years and never have offered these things before? So some examples of what we might offer is like fluoride or adult sealants, if these things aren't in our typical line of practice. So there are a few ways to do this. And one of the easiest ways I think and I've experienced is addressing these preventive things with a patient who just underwent some restorative or surgical treatment. Okay, and the verbiage that I often use is, you know, Mrs. Smith, up until now, we've been focused on putting the fires out. We had to control your decay and perio disease. And now those things are very much arrested and under control. So we can get a little more particular and switch into prevention mode proactively. When I'm evaluating your teeth, one thing I'm noticing is that you have these deep grooves on the biting surfaces of your back teeth. And on several of these teeth, you've had cavities before. So these areas are at higher risk for developing decay. It's always better to preserve your natural tooth structure by preventing cavities than having to remove some of your tooth structure and replace it with synthetic material. I would really like to put clear sealant material on these teeth. And then I show the patient, you know, the photograph or use a mirror to show them specifically which teeth I'm referring to, which teeth have the deep grooves and which teeth. Similarly, like if, if a first molar has restorative, you know, it has an occlusal filling And then another first molar has a deep groove. I show them this is where, this is specifically what I'm referring to. Um, And that is the the best tool. Obviously, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words and you don't really have to explain very much. It's okay to, you know, in this situation, acknowledge like, hey, we're switching things up, but we're we're totally switching modes. We've just put all the fires out and now I want to switch modes to prevention. So we've kind of set the patient up to be ready to hear this information and then we show them what's going on. So then you say, you know, this makes it real and personal for them. When we personalize it and say, this is your tooth that I'm considering sealing, not like a one size fits all solution. um, And you're designing a small treatment plan to fit their exclusive needs. I think it brings them to a place of yes and understanding um, a little more quickly. I think they're more willing to hear what you have to say when we personalize a treatment plan like that. So you can also explain, you know, this is usually not covered by insurance for adults. They usually dictate a specific age cutoff, which has nothing to do with your actual risk for decay. If they're not covering this for you, I'll honor their rate, which is typically in the $20 to $30 range per tooth versus the usual customary and reasonable fee, which is about $80 per tooth. So I let them know that even though their their insurance is dictating that they will not cover this procedure, I will still honor their insurance rate, their in-network insurance rate. So they're paying that cash out of their pocket, but it's still a lower fee than if they had no insurance benefits at all.
0: Right. And I know for us, we are fee-for-service. Now we do... For hygiene, we will take estimation um, and then have the insurance pay the office directly the remainder, Mm -hmm. but for most of our patients like sealants aren't covered for adults so there is no room for that for us so um, we do a straight fee of it's 63 for sealant, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times I'll go ahead and and talk about doing maybe the tooth next to it or you know one up from that. Um, and just kind of say, hey, I'll do two for one for you, just as an added benefit, since I'm already in here in this area. So that's okay. a, that's a nice thing we can do as well, and it you know it doesn't take any extra time.
1: Yeah, it creates value and yep. essentially no extra time. You know, how long yep. does it take for you to put etch on the first, the right. second premolar versus you right. know just the first molar? Yeah. So if the patient says yes, then they can be scheduled or completed the same day, depending on the time allowance. And if they say no, you you know, I just say, okay, no problem. This is a completely optional preventive service. I'm okay with waiting to see how this changes as long as you're fully informed of your options. And then I just add it to my clinical note, I leave the treatment plan in there, essentially, and I just put in my clinical note, you know, discuss recommended sealants on teeth numbers, two, three, and, you know, uh, 14 or whatever, you know, and then I might If I'll circle back, if the patient was like, oh, let me consider it. Let me look at an insurance. Let me see if they will cover what the fee would be. And if not, then I just, I don't circle back. If it was a hard no and they're like, no, I don't want to be proactive or preventive. I want to be reactive and just fix things when they break. Perfectly fine. Now they're informed and my treatment plan is in there. So um, for fluoride varnish, for instance, you can say we recently started offering topical fluoride varnish to reduce decay risk. And we we're finding that for patients with exposed roots or history of recent decay, it helps to reduce their risk for sensitivity and future decay significantly by applying this every three to six months. So you're, you're letting the patient know, we recently started offering this benefic- beneficial procedure if it, ha- if it isn't something that you've been implementing regularly prior to this. And that is absolutely true, right? You don't have to make up some elaborate like white lie or something you know, to, to make your patients think like to overcompensate for whatever you have not been implementing. It's okay to say, we just brought this on board. We just started implementing fluoride. This is why I'm recommending it. This is what the research says, because you're being transparent and real and you're giving the patient the option. So I always like to, especially in regards to fluoride varnish, personalize it. So if the person recently had restorative due to decay or has exposed roots, dry mouth, et cetera, I explain that that's my concern and that's why I want to do it for them. So it's kind of like the sealant situation specifying which teeth, you know, need the sealant, specifying why this particular person could benefit from fluoride varnish. Um, I then explain, you know, it takes about 30 seconds for me to paint the clear gel on your teeth. Are you OK with me doing this for you today? And nowhere in there did I discuss cost yet. And that is a necessary conversation to have before I complete this procedure for them. I never want you know, a person to be sticker shocked or surprised for the bill at the end. That's not a good feeling, Um, but I go through all the benefits, ask them if they're okay with me doing this procedure, if they understand the benefit, if they have any questions, and then I inform them of the cost, okay? So if if they're like, yeah, that's fine, then I say, you know, typically this isn't covered by insurance for adults, um, which has nothing to do with your actual decay risk, and if fluoride is not covered, the average fee is about $30, are you okay with that? You know, because costs should always be presented Last, and that's not for the sake of being tricky or trying to, you know, scheme with our. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with when a person hears the cost for something that they don't already value, they stop listening at the cost, right? So if you if you do it in reverse, where you explain a new concept to a patient, you explain the value and how this can benefit them, and then the cost, then they listen to the whole thing and decide if the cost is worth it or not. And at that point, they still have a choice. Right. So you're not, you're not cornering the patient into anything. You just want them to hear the value before the cost so that they understand the value. They get to hear the entire thing.
0: Right. And I think this is a really important way to present this versus, because I've heard this happen before, where at the end of the appointment, the hygienist just kind of flippantly says, Hey, did you want to do fluoride today? Instead of, hey, Mr. Jones, I'm really concerned because you have, you know, some some uh, generalized recession. I know you've had history of, you know, having fillings done. Um, you know, there was a, a moderate amount of plaque present today. I think it would be really beneficial if we went ahead now that I've gotten everything really cleaned up and exposed for us to go ahead and do a fluoride treatment and just remineralize any of those weakened areas and mm-hmm. just, you know, be, pre- come from a preventative aspect. I think that's a whole lot different than just saying, Hey, did you want fluoride today? Yeah. So I think just kind of shifting the verbiage that we're using and the mindset that we have and remember, remember, honestly, that our goal as hygienists really should be preventative. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be reactive to infection and decay. It should be, you know, on the flip side of things. I feel like for so much, honestly, for the beginning of my career, I was very reactive because I wasn't sure how to talk about these things. And I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in myself. Now I understand that if we can truly be preventative, we're going to avoid a lot of issues and a lot of finances and a lot of, you know, time and and tooth destruction and and all of that. So I think it's shifting your mindset and really understanding and helping our patients understand, like, we are here for you to prevent issues. So let's do that together. And these are the ways we have to do that. Right. And
1: I'm sure that your patients, when you explain it from that place, can sense that, you know, like this doesn't this you know, a lot of people are afraid of being perceived as selling something. If you're you're trying to relay something that you truly believe and you truly value and you know will benefit the patient, it's going to come across differently than if it's something that you don't believe in and don't value, you know, and everyone on the receiving end, they have a choice too, you know, based on their, their biases and prior experiences and all the things you're going to you know, formulate their own conclusions based on all of that as well. So sometimes someone might perceive us as selling, even if our come from is truly like, I want to do what's best for you. i want to prevent issues. This is going to equal less cost for you long-term because you're putting up a small amount of money right now kind of thing. Right. Um, and there's always the, like they always have the option to not believe us or not say yes or whatever, but at least they have the option, you know, at least right. give them an option. If they don't know what they're missing, they don't have an option and that's not really fair. That's not enabling our patients to make autonomous and educated decisions about their own health, you know? Right.
0: And and we have to remember, you know, patients, we, we say this a lot, patients come to us for our professional opinions on things mm-hmm. and they don't know the latest and the newest and what, you know, the re, what the research is saying. So it's our job to help educate them on that. It's our job to be aware of it, you know, and stay current and then to turn around and make it easily understandable from them for them from an education aspect so that they can make those best decisions. Cause if we're mm-hmm. not telling about telling them about it, if, you know, we're not vocalizing that, then honestly, we're making the decision for them.
1: Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists, it's Brittany and Charissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here, our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job. It's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking
0: communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success. It's all there. Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click Courses on the left-hand side for all the details.
1: So a few more things that we can talk about on this topic are um, the topics of, you know, desensitizers and comfort services. So a lot of times the way I start this discussion would be, you know, if I haven't offered this before, Something like, you know, Mrs. Smith, I remember last time you were here, you mentioned that your teeth were sensitive to the Cavitron and to cold water. We're now using a desensitizer that has made this procedure a lot more comfortable for a lot of my patients who have had this experience. And then, you know, I'll tell them what it's called. It's called Tom's Rapid Relief or Core Desensitizer or, or New Pro pre whatever your preference is. And then this is something because it's such a, typically a very low cost to the office. I often offer it the first time at no charge. So I'll say, you know, usually there's a fee of $26 for this, but I want to do it for you today, excuse me, at no charge, just to see how it works for you. You can let me know if it's what you prefer for future visits. So the patient is now happy because you got in front of their discomfort. That's the first thing. You're giving them something for free and you've informed them that they're not your guinea pig. So you've used this on other patients. There's a lot of research behind it. It's successful. It's been great. Other patients have reported they're a lot more comfortable during this procedure Um, You try this on other patients and it really clearly works. So depending on your office's policies and flexibility, sometimes this is even possible for things like nitrous. And that's something that in my office I really value is having a lot of autonomy to um, uh, courtesy procedures kind of at my discretion. And of course, if I'm courtesying something, I'm paid based on a percentage of my collections, essentially. So it impacts me. Right. So it impacts what I take home. It impacts what the office earns. So that's a consideration. So we never want to like overtly just start giving things away because we also want to value what we do. And it is worth the money. You know, I think if it's someone who is cost sensitive or cost conscious, I might offer nitrous at no charge the first time. for the sake of like, hey, these are the comfort services that are available to you. Is the value worth it? You can decide and let me know at the next visit. And then this is the fee if that's
0: the case. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I think that's really, you know, that's a great way for them to experience it. And like you said, see if that works well for them. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, isn't every patient wanting to be really comfortable. I mean, you know, we have so many patients telling us all the time, like, I hate coming to the dentist. It's, you know, it's my least favorite thing, but if we can make it comfortable and make it, you know, even more than tolerable, if we can make it comfortable, then they're going to be return visits. They're going to share about who we are and what we're doing with their friends and family, which brings more patients in. And everyone likes to get a little something for free. So that's a really cool way to kind of introduce it the first time and say, Hey, let's just try this and see if this works. And then going forward, then, you know, you have that option to to do that.
1: Right. And when I think it's so funny, because when I think of the desensitizers, I think of, okay, this will make the patient comfortable and this will make their experience comfortable. When I think of nitrous, I think this will make their experience enjoyable. Right. <laughs> like they want to come back for the nitrous. And so many people say that they're like, Oh, it's such a nice break from my work day right. or something, you know, right before the weekend, they're like, let me come in on a Friday so I can get relaxed. And <laughs> like plan their dental appointment around the nitrous. It's funny. That's awesome. Um, in regards to something like whitening, that's clearly just an aesthetic um, concern. It's it's a, a complaint that a lot of patients come in with, right? A lot of times it's their chief complaint before they find out that they have dental or periodontal issues, right? So if I, let's say as an example, saw a new patient who whose chief complaint was whitening, and then we discovered that they had some existing decay and active period disease, clearly whitening is not going to be on the top of the treatment plan. Um, it might be on the bottom of the treatment plan, right? Um, <clears throat> so if we are continuing care after they have eradicated some of the active disease processes in their mouth. I would ask, you know, how does everything feel in your mouth since I saw you last time? I'm looking back at your prior medical history, and I can see that you wanted to whiten your teeth. And in our medical history, there is, you know, a section for chief concern, chief complaint, what you would like to accomplish in this visit. And so that's where they would have disclosed that Um, and then I would say, you know, I know we recently took care of some fillings and treated your gum disease. Now that the most important health concerns are under control, I want to make sure that we circle back and address some of your initial concerns, you know, would you like to hear about whitening options? So that lets the patient know you're not just like, again, blanket statement, trying to sell them whitening. You're saying, Hey, you brought this up on the first visit. I just want to circle back and make sure that we've addressed that with you. If not, would you like to hear about what your options are giving the patient the freedom to say yes or no? You know, so this is very straightforward. And if they do say no, they're no longer interested, which almost never happens. I say no problem. You know, white, whitening is completely aesthetic in nature; it doesn't improve or harm your oral health status. I won't bug you about it again. Feel free to bring it up if it ever becomes a priority for you in the future. Nice. So, PerioProtect was something, you know, one of these things in our office where you know, scanning with the Itero was one thing, then learning how to discuss it with our patients and treatment plan it, submit the script, and hope it worked, you know, Um, because I think that for all of us psychologically, we believe in research clinically, you know what I mean, like, clearly, that's a huge part of hygiene, anything in medicine, we look for valid and reliable research proven over time, right, but I think that there is a certain amount of psychology that goes into trying out a new product, even understanding the research and the recommendations and the outcomes and still wanting to see anecdotal evidence, you know, right. or at least that's what I've seen from my team It's like, they read the research and they were still a little hesitant to start yeah. implementing perioproject because they wanted to see it firsthand, yep. you know? So I think that there's a little bit of that for all of us. So that was another barrier. And it was, I think, a tough pill to swallow for some of them on the front end. Um, but now I would say it's one of our favorite products. And I think that we just, we had a lot of discussions around what are our barriers? What's keeping us from offering this to our patient, you know, and like many other things, a lot of it was our own perceptions and fears about the cost, you know, and assigning who can and can't afford this procedure or, you know, our own capability to explain the procedure in depth our own capability to follow through on whatever was needed from scanning to submitting the script and all the things, you know, there's a lot of challenges when it comes to starting to implement a new procedure. So it just makes total sense to me. And these are the things that I've seen like over and over again. And some of the things that have worked best for me. Yeah. Um, Sharisa, do you want to cover some of the Perio services? Well,
0: yeah, I think, honestly, I think Perio is the biggest part of all of this. This Mm -hmm. is the question that I think we get more, more of this question of like, how do I talk to my patient about this? Because this is like one of those uncomfortable moments. But let's be honest, like the reality of some of our listeners kind of being in that bloody profi mill type situation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that there's probably a pretty high chance that some of our listeners are kind of have been stuck in that. I know I was stuck in that in the beginning and I didn't even know or realize it. And so when you come to that realization and you're like, wow, this is really a disservice to our patients. This is a disservice to our practice. And honestly, our licensure, um, you know, we know that bleeding gums are indicative of inflammation and infection, and they really do necessitate periodontal therapy. So, you know, the, the question is, how do we get off the bloody profy train and really help educate our patients when we haven't addressed it in the past? And, you know, if your MO has been doing like a bloody profi and telling your patients, yeah, bleeding isn't really healthy. You know, it's not really normal. We don't want to see that. So let's get you to be flossing more. You know, let's, let's brush a little more and we'll just see how things look next time. And then there's like, that's your, that's your MO over and over and over. Then all of a sudden, like, there's that fear, like, Wait, what if today I tell them this is actually infection and it's not okay? Like, how do I tell them that when I've just been telling them, yeah, brush and floss more, but I've never really done anything about it. So this is where I think this conversation really comes into play. And I think you just as a, I think you have to first kind of take a look in in the mirror as a provider and ask yourself, who do I want to be? How do I want to practice? And how do I want to care for my patients? And if you arrive at the place that you're not going to um, compromise their health, um, and you're going to do the right thing for them because you know it's the right thing to do, and you really come from that personal conviction, that patient's going to be able to read that in you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it all starts with the getting the patient more involved in the assessment stage, Right. So if you are perio charting, it's really important that you explain to them what you're doing and what that assessment means, and then involve them in it, meaning do it out loud. And I know people say it and think all the time, like, Teresa, this is easy for you because you have an assistant. So she's right there to record those numbers for you. So honestly, the reality is most of the time my assistant is in the other room finishing up an exam with a doctor. So... Um, we do not, I know Brittany's practice uses Florida probe mm-hmm. and we just feel like that's not a great fit for our particular software. Um, I tried another couple of options and those didn't really fit either. And what I've been doing lately, and it actually works beautifully is, um, I have an iPhone and I just use my, uh, voice memos and we'll record those numbers and then later in the day, my assistant will go ahead and transcribe them in or myself uh, at the end of the day into the computer. Um, but it gives me the freedom to explain to the patient, hey, I'm going to do an assessment of the health of your gum and bone. You're going to hear me calling out some numbers. Um, anything from one to three is normal and healthy. Anything four five or above or any areas of bleeding indicates some inflammation and infection. Um, let me roll back for just two seconds and say this, too. When I bring a patient back and seat them, obviously I'm asking, you know, hey, has, have you had any new medications, new allergies, new doctor's findings or surgeries um, and anything dentally that you noticed or been concerned about? And then I also ask, what's your current home care been? How many times a day are you brushing? Are you flossing? Are you feeling any tenderness or seeing bleeding? And I get that answer before I have even looked in their mouth. Because honestly, in my head, I'm kind of building a case for whatever needs to happen today. So if they're like, yeah, I'm I'm brushing twice a day, I'm flossing, you know, twice a day, I'm not seeing any bleeding, everything feels great. And then I get in there and do the assessment and everything looks perfect. Awesome. We're in agreement. Everything looks good. But if I've got a patient who's like, yeah, you know, life's been crazy. Honestly, I'm flossing maybe twice a week. Yeah, I probably do see a little bit of bleeding here and there. I know that already. And then when I do my assessment and they're hearing me calling out fours and fives or bleeding, by the time I'm done with that, I can say, hey, look, obviously those numbers aren't healthy numbers. You're also telling me that your flossing, you know, hasn't been consistent and that you're noticing bleeding. Honestly, there's, we've got active infection going on in here and we need to do something about this. So I think first step of, of, you know, involving that them in that assessment, making that co-discovery together is really important because at that point they can't really deny that there's stuff going on. Um, I think there's a lot of terminology that we can use uh, as we're having these conversations. So uh, I think patients expect us as providers to be learning and growing and both in knowledge and technology. So here's a few great transitions that I think we can use when we're having these conversations about something new or different, um you know just saying things like hey new research shows that this kind of bleeding and inflammation and infection that we're seeing today puts you at risk for for greater systemic issues maybe it's saying hey i recently took a ce class and i learned a lot about gingivitis or periodontal disease or whatever you know whatever that patient's got going on you could say i've been reading a lot of new research and i'm really concerned about this this is not healthy this is infection This puts you at risk for more impactful systemic disease. I think it's just really shooting straight with them. And again, you've got to be comfortable with yourself as a provider to make sure that you are coming across confident and and willing to answer their questions and know that it's a mutual conversation. And I think, um, you know, a lot of hygienists struggle with this. So it's hard to switch from a bloody prophy to the, you know, the non-surgical perio treatment. Um, and if you work on a team of two or more hygienists, then I think it's important to, you know, kind of have the conversation together. Like, hey, how are you doing this? What seems to be working for you? Lean on each other. Make it a, a team strategy. Um, Brittany, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think that if you're on a team of, you know, two or more hygienists, one thought is, like you said, get on the same page like make a standard of operations. Like you have the, if this, then that um, trickle down or it's the, what is it called? What do you call it? The treatment planning basics. Like if there's four to five millimeters with. Bleeding yeah. Yeah. You, you create, basis. you create
0: that office protocol and that's, right. you know, what, that's a really good point. And I want to say this too. Mm-hmm. If you are in a practice that's not, that's not been treating perio to the full extent Um, it's probably, you probably need to have a conversation with your doctor too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because, uh, it's funny. I noticed that I work with our hygienists at our practice in setting, uh, goals on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. And we've learned that it's really important to share those goals with a doctor because I've had one of our doctors came to me and he said, what is going on with so-and-so hygienist? Like, She's recommending sealants for everybody, (laughs) and I was like, "Oh, actually, that's one of her personal goals—is to be more, you know, aware of sealants for adults and the benefits that they pose." And you know, so it's funny that you—you've got to really think that through for the whole team and share those goals for the whole team. But obviously, if your perio numbers are low and you haven't been treating it, you know, appropriately it needs to be a conversation with your doctor, obviously, because they're the ones that are, you know, there to, you know, diagnose and treatment plan what needs to be done. So mm-hmm. if you find that your numbers are low, it's time to set up a meeting, you yeah. know, with your hygiene team and your doctor to say, hey, like we're, we're doing a lot of bl- bloody profies here. And this is a disservice to, you know, the patients and to the practice and to the, you know, the bottom line of what the practice should be producing and collecting and bringing in. And the objective,
1: data that I think you can always bring to that conversation to help remove the emotional subjectivity from that conversation is just the data of the actual perio disease stats of our population and compare that to the treatment that you're actually providing to your patients. So if your perio percentage is 14%, but the needs of our population are, you know, 50% or higher, like where's the discrepancy happening? And I think that just keeps it less personal. So people don't feel attacked or don't feel uncomfortable about the conversation it's just objective data that you're bringing and saying hey we all need to do better like we all as a team need to like rise up to this challenge kind of thing and fulfill the needs of our population and another thing i wanted to bring up about working on a team of two or more hygienists is i think it's it's one thing for you to have been you know maybe not practicing to the best of your ability or maybe due to time constraints or whatever reason you know, doing bloody pro and now you're like, okay, I really need to take a step back and educate my patient about what's going on with their health. One of, I mean, that can be a challenging conversation, but still definitely doable and implementable. I think one of the best things that you can do is if you're seeing a patient that you've never seen before, just start diagnostics from scratch, you know? So I work on a team of eight hygienists. Actually, it's about to be nine. Um, I'm bringing on some new team members. Um, But anytime I'm seeing a patient who has seen someone else and has never seen me, I I start from scratch in regards to the medical history and dental history and, um, you know, researching the notes, looking at the perio chart, looking at the prior radiographs, you know, obviously updating radiographs if necessary, but I always do my own comprehensive perio chart. And it's not because of a lack of trust. It's because I want to tell the patient like, hey, you're new to me. I want to pick up where we left off and move forward. And we're doing assessment. And it's an opportunity to explain, I'm a new provider. I want to understand you to the, the best that I can. And also I want to make sure that we're, we're treating you adequately and appropriately, according to where you are on the spectrum of health, telling them, you know, we'll, we'll do the period chart going through and re-educating them about all of that. And that is a really ideal time to make a transition, like a bloody profy to a NSPT or a localized NSPT or a one quadrant here or whatever. Because it's like, okay, I'm a new provider, we're taking new diagnostics, we're evaluating from the bottom up. And this is a great time to check for any changes, like, like, basically face it like it's an opportunity or almost like they're a new patient. You know, I don't know, I, I find that conversation is a lot easier and more comfortable for people to have than the one of changing your own patient from a profi to a localized therapy.
0: Right? Yeah. 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 So you brought up PerioProtect earlier Mm -hmm. and, you know, we talk a lot about PerioProtect because we both really believe in it and we've seen some really great things with it. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I I would kind of like to try that, but I just don't know how to start it. I would say your Perio maintenance patients Mm -hmm. are where it's at. I would start there. You will see the benefits and then you'll get, you know, more brave and courageous with it and, and start, you know, kind of branching out. But I have conversations with my perio, with my uh, perio maintenance patients that, and we all have these patients that aren't truly maintaining health. You know, we're seeing them every three or four months. Mm-hmm. We're still seeing some bleeding. We're still seeing some localized, you know, spongy and plain tissues, no matter what they're doing with their home care. And, you know, it's, it's one of those frustrating things for them. I know because, you know, they're, they're taking their time and their money to get things, you know, under control, but it's, I like to be very honest with them. Um, I think it builds a lot of trust when we're just really honest and transparent. So a lot of times I will have just a really direct conversation with those patients and say, hey, look, I gotta be honest with you. What we're doing right now, the goal of what we're doing is to be maintaining health. But actually that's not what we're doing. I'm still seeing bleeding at these visits. I'm still seeing inflammation and, you know, um, spongy tissues that aren't healthy. So I don't want you to get discouraged because I know we've done a lot. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I feel like we've done everything we've known to do. It's time to think outside of the box. And what we know about periodontal disease, it is very multifactorial. Um, there's a lot of things that we can't control as far as your particular host response goes. Um, the only thing that we really can kind of control, is the bacterial biofilm. And I have a way to do that with something called perioprotect trays. And basically, it's going to help us maintain that oral microflora underneath the gums on a daily basis by using a low-grade peroxide gel to keep those anaerobes from setting up camp and becoming active far beyond what you can reach with your toothbrush and floss. So I have a lot of patients that have moved forward with these trays. They are really effective at kind of getting them off the roller coaster of needing deep cleanings every couple of years. Um, And I've seen it work well. So at this point, I think that should be our next step. Um, You know, it's pretty conservative over doing some, you know, like surgical procedures. And obviously, if you've got somebody who's just way off course and, and things just aren't responding then it's probably time to send them to the periodontist. But if these are localized areas, um, I think perioprotect is a great way to, to see if we can't get that under control. And then if not, obviously we're gonna go the periodontist period route. But mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to start. And I think just being really honest and transparent, like, hey, I'm doing my best, you're doing your best. Unfortunately, there's some things we can't control here. Let's think outside of the box and, and do something different. Yep, 100%.
1: So I think that I hope that this has been helpful in regards to becoming more comfortable and accepting that we're all having to constantly learn to implement new things. And with each new thing, the implementation is gonna bring about different challenges and look different. And it's gonna look different from office to office and provider to provider. I think the most important thing with all the things that we just covered is to make sure that we're being authentic, make sure that we understand what we're what we are offering to our patients to the best of our ability and understand, you know, how to realistically discuss these things with our patients for us personally, you know, like find out what verbiage works for us, find out which facts you want to relay ahead of time and have those kind of prepared, you know, like Charissa has done and talked about so many times, you know, maybe even practicing your verbiage in front of a mirror, you know, practicing with some colleagues before you jump in. But at some point, you know, don't forget, you don't need to be perfect to jump in and start using these things. So we hope that this has been Um, helpful to everyone. And we hope that you guys will continue to, you know, be willing to onboard new things and try new things and get curious and that we're all constantly asking, like, how can we do this better for our patients? So we hope that this was a a helpful uh, episode and we thank you so much for joining us as always. We are so grateful for your presence here. If you want to connect with us on a deeper level, please feel free to go to um, our mighty network
0: and search Bulletproof Hygiene. And we will see you there. Everybody have a great week. See you next time.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from.
0: We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.